Dueling Eagles, written by Chad Clabo, read by Derek Durlam, produced by Studio Conundrum, copyright 2017, Chad Clabo. Chapter 17 Ned wasn't really trying to sleep when his next visitor arrived. Even so, he was lying on the cot in his cell with his eyes closed. It was nearing midnight, but he knew he was too restless to sleep. He wasn't even sure that sleep would be a good idea. Then the door opened and Ned looked over. It was the girl from earlier. This time she was carrying only the two bottles of water. As earlier, she held out the first bottle of water for the guard. Gracias, said the guard. De nada, the girl replied with a pretty smile. Then, from out of nowhere, she had a knife and had stabbed the guard in his lower chest. The guard looked dumbfounded. He dropped the bottle of water and looked around. It looked like he was trying to speak, but had no wind. Maybe she got him in the lung, thought Ned. By this time, he had jumped off the cot and was standing at the metal bars, still out of reach of the action. The guard had grabbed the girl's right arm and was pushing her as he staggered forward a couple of steps, until he fell. He landed with his head on her chest, and while it looked like he was still trying to struggle, she quickly pushed him off her and grabbed his keys. She opened the cell door, and as Ned was rushing out, she said, No, we go this way. She went into the cell, took her still bloody knife, and started cutting into the drywall. Had Ned seen her remove the knife from the guard? He couldn't remember. He also hadn't noticed her taking the guard's gun, but there it was, strapped over her shoulder. Did you really have to kill the guard? asked Ned. Anything else would have made too much noise. Here, you finish. She handed the knife to Ned, and he could see she was exhausted. Besides, she said, he's not the first man I've killed, and he probably won't be the last. I'll keep that in mind, said Ned as he kept scoring into the wall. I'm Ned, by the way, even though you probably already know that. What's your name? You can call me Lisa, she said. Lisa's not a very Spanish-sounding name. My full name is Felisa Margarita Madero Valdez. Is that Mexican sounding enough for you? But I like Lisa. Okay, you like Lisa. I've got it. So, Lisa, is there any way we can get a hold of those courtroom recordings I made? She thought for a moment. It might be possible, but is it really that important? It's just a propaganda piece. Is your embarrassment really worth risking our lives? Probably not, replied Ned. Exactly how much risk are we talking about? The room isn't far, but Manuel, the video technician, will be in there and maybe a guard. You have a video technician? Of course, she said. He went to the university in Austin. By this time, Ned had made a hole big enough to get his hands through and had proceeded to break off large pieces of drywall as quietly as he could. Once the hole was big enough to step through, Ned found that they were in another room the same size, but this one was almost completely empty. Lisa was removing her pants and bloody shirt to reveal jeans and a more normal-looking shirt underneath. She grabbed a jacket that was sitting on the floor, tossed her hair, and suddenly didn't look at all like she had just killed a man. Through the door there, there's a hallway. Lisa motioned to the only door in the room. To the left is an exit, or we go right to find the video. Chapter 18 Ned only thought it was slightly reckless to look for the video. Lisa was right that they didn't really need it, but Ned hated the idea of being used in their propaganda piece. And there was also the issue of not really wanting his face known the world over for anything, even if he wasn't planning on doing any covert work in the future. Fortunately, the warehouse halls seemed completely deserted, and there was only one guard with a video technician. 
The threat of a gunshot was enough to keep the two men quiet, and they were both soon tied to chairs and gagged. Ned expected to have to destroy several computers, as well as the cameras that had been in the courtroom, but there was only one laptop, and the cameras were not there. Manuel, the videotech, said that the three memory cards in the room were the three from the cameras, so Ned pocketed those, as well as the storage drive that he removed from the computer. After that, Ned and Lisa followed the halls back to the exit and into the night. It was dark outside, but there were streetlights in the area, so it wasn't completely black. Even if it had been daylight, Ned wasn't sure he would have recognized the street. There were several people lying down on the pavement, mostly in groups. Is it like this every night? he asked his new companion. Or are these the people that arrived today? I try to not be out this late, but this doesn't look normal, she replied. Where to now? asked Ned. I know a place near the border crossing where we can stay tonight, she answered. But you better have a way to get us across. That's why I broke you out. I have a way, but I'm going to need a phone. Ned suddenly remembered that he was supposed to talk to General Everly's contact in Juarez. Ned had the address and phone number, but Jack had it too. The contact might already be compromised. Can you get me to a phone? The phones are out here just like in El Paso, she said. But you have power here, said Ned. Yes, but to make sure the phones in El Paso couldn't get a signal, we had to take out the towers on this side of the border too. Ned was disappointed. The only way to get a message to General Everly's contact now was to go in person. Do you know how far the 1600 block of Calle Rodolfo Oguerio is? asked Ned. It's not too far from here. Do we need to go there? I need to deliver a message before we can head back. All right, we'll turn right at the next block, but we can't take too long. They might already be looking for us after that stunt we pulled with the video rescue. So what's the story with you anyway? asked Ned. Your English is perfect, and Lisa's not an extremely common Mexican nickname. I already told you, my name is... Yes, I know, Felisa Margarita. But why Lisa as a nickname? So you want my entire life story now? She paused then continued. I went to private schools in El Paso from the time that I was little. A girl in the first grade wanted to call me Lisa, and it just stuck. And before you get all politically correct about staying true to my Mexican heritage, it was another Mexican girl that called me Lisa. No, I was just curious. I actually like Lisa. Well, she paused like she was getting ready for another argument, but then she finished quietly. Good. There were plenty of people on the streets. As they moved farther away from the warehouses and nearer downtown, there were fewer people making camps and more people wandering around. It looked like all the bars were open for anyone who wanted to find a drink to bring them cheer or to drown their sorrows. Ned thought it might get ugly around closing time, but then decided that closing time wasn't likely to happen in this mostly lawless town. Not unless the Liberation Army was enforcing the local law, which, he expected, was pretty unlikely. I can't believe all these people are out, said Lisa. Normally the streets would be empty at this time of night. Too dangerous. It must be the deportees, said Ned. A sudden population increase of 14,000 is bound to cause at least a temporary change in the city's nightlife. 14,000? That number always seemed to incite this kind of shocked response. What were you thinking? It wasn't exactly my idea, replied Ned. Of course not. Blame everything on the bureaucrats, right? The question seemed rhetorical, so Ned let it lie. The crowd had thinned out almost completely by the time they arrived at the address of General Everly's contact. It was a small adobe-looking house with a short wall around the property, and while there were mostly single-family homes on the block, the neighborhood didn't have a very residential feeling to it. Ned knocked on the door, waited, and then knocked again. Who is it? 
a voice shouted from the other side of the door. My name is Ned. A friend from El Paso sent me. He told me to ask you about your dachshund. The door opened and a man rushed Ned and Lisa inside. Caesar? Ned asked. Yes, what are you doing here? His English was not as good as Lisa's, but it was passable. We... The man I crossed the border with and I, we were supposed to reestablish contact with you after the blackout. Unfortunately, that man is working with the insurgents here in Juarez. Your cover is burned. My cover? I don't have a cover. This is my life. Regardless, he could be on his way now. You have to get out. Will you come with us, or do you have a place to go? Come with you? No, I have a family. But I do have a place to go. Give me a minute. Caesar proceeded to wake his wife and instruct her to pack the essentials and get the car ready. Several minutes later, he returned to Ned and Lisa. I don't suppose you have any cash for me? Caesar asked. I'm afraid not, replied Ned. But if you want to tell me where you're going, I might be able to arrange something. I do have to ask, do you know anything about the missile attack in El Paso or the insurgent army here in Juarez? The Chihuahuan Liberation Army, said Caesar. Yes, they've been building their ranks for some time. They're probably number in the hundreds now. Thousands. The previously silent Lisa spoke up for the first time since entering the house. I didn't expect that they had the resources for any kind of missile attack, Caesar continued. But I wouldn't be surprised if it was them. Oh, it was definitely them, said Lisa. Really? asked Caesar. And how exactly would you know that? He looked at her more closely. Didn't you used to work at that burrito cafe? I just have one of those faces, she said. And I would know about the army because I was with them. Ned was really wishing that Lisa wasn't sharing information with Caesar so freely. It looks like your girlfriend here knows more about it than I do. I better get back to my packing. It's time for you to leave. Wait, said Ned. One more thing. Do you know where I could find a working telephone? I heard someone say earlier today that some of the old landline phones were still working. A few of the older residents in town still have them, and some businesses. But I don't know where you could find one to use at this time of night. Thank you, we'll go now. You should hurry. We will, but we can't leave everything behind. Caesar walked them to the door, and as they walked away, Ned could hear the door lock behind them. Chapter 19 Much to Lisa's dismay, Ned had insisted that they watch the house until Caesar's family left. They took up an inconspicuous spot that had a view of both the front of Caesar's house as well as the back access. About twenty minutes after they left, they saw Caesar carrying several bags out to the car. Shortly after, he and his wife carried several more bags and a baby seat out of the house and drove away. All right, said Ned as he started walking. Let's get going. It's about time, replied Lisa. It's nearly five kilometers. Listen, I know it doesn't seem important, but he helped us. He didn't help us, Lisa interrupted. Let me rephrase that, Ned thought for a moment. He risked his life by helping my government, and if Jack had come here looking for us and ended up killing him, that would have been a disservice to him on my part. Whatever, she said, as she led Ned east down the dark streets. So listen, I want you to tell me what you know about that army you were a part of. How did you get mixed up with them anyway? My life story again, she said. How exactly is this important? Well, it seems like you wanted to get out of there, but I have no idea about your motives. It would help me understand you if I understood why you wanted to leave and why you were there in the first place. My brother got involved with the group after our parents were murdered, Lisa explained. He told me I should get in too. I was always apprehensive, but life in Juarez was dangerous and they offered some stability. 
They would feed and clothe you, protect you, and Chihuahuan independence didn't seem like such a bad idea at first. Also, you hear stories about women holding power in revolutionary armies, so I was optimistic at the beginning. But, while I was given some authority, the leaders basically treated me like a child. Not everyone was terrible to me, but it wasn't a good life. As I spent more time with the group, I saw the way that they treated the people who wouldn't join. They were worse than the drug cartels openly killing people in the street. Now I think they actually control the cartels. They try to keep secret how large the army's influence has grown, but I hear a lot of rumors. What kind of rumors? asked Ned. That they control the drug cartels, that they have a base set up in Chihuahua City, that they have the backing of a lot of the upright and wealthy Chihuahuan citizens, as well as some Americans. Are these rumors true? It's difficult to say how true. There's certainly influence over the drug cartels. They have some kind of base in Chihuahua City, and they must have financial backing. You know that they have help from your American friend. Ned knew this much was true. He still couldn't believe Jack's reasoning for supporting their cause. Anyway, Lisa continued, I wanted out of that place, especially now with his talk about invading El Paso. What? Ned interrupted. Invading El Paso? Is this another rumor? No, she said. Not a rumor. They're making plans. When is this supposed to happen, and why didn't you tell me this sooner? We've been busy, said Lisa, and I don't know exactly when it's supposed to happen. It's still secret, and I'm not even sure they know yet. They seem to be waiting for something, but it's very soon, probably before power can be restored in El Paso, so the next couple of days. The blackout was the first step in their plan. This doesn't make any sense. Why would they invade El Paso? What do they have to gain? What can they accomplish? I don't have all the answers, answered Lisa. I think it sounds crazy, too. You heard them at the trial. They have unrealistic issues with the United States. Stealing land, stealing water, terrorism. Well, the water rights might be a legitimate claim, and your country certainly could have found a better way to deal with its migrant worker problem, but it seems ludicrous to go to war about it. Anyway, the trial was also a part of the plan to justify the invasion. Do you think they have enough people to make any kind of invasion work? asked Ned. They number in the thousands now, and they recruit daily, often from the deportees you send across, and you just sent them 14,000 more. Again, not my decision. Your government, Lisa replied. Anyway, they definitely have enough people to storm the border, and they're planning to encourage the Juarez residents to cross into El Paso and occupy the city. That shouldn't be too hard, because much of El Paso has been abandoned, and Juarez is extremely overcrowded. As far as holding the city against the American army... They probably couldn't do that. But your friend Jack Stewart has assured us that the United States government would lack the resolve to take back the city after it was occupied. The more Lisa talked, the more it made sense to Ned, especially after what Jack had told him about provoking a response from Texas. He was suddenly very impatient. The twenty minutes waiting for Caesar's family to go had been a waste of time. He was now even questioning whether or not he should have even contacted Caesar in the first place. He needed to get back to El Paso immediately, or at the very least, find a phone. Ned knew that the situation at the border wouldn't allow them to cross overnight. Where can we find a phone? asked Ned. I have an idea about that, but it won't work until morning. What's the idea? The place we're going to. There's a hotel next door. I can pay to use their phone in the morning. Why not now? No one's going to open up their doors for us now, except for maybe those bars downtown, but they probably don't even have landline phones. They're not exactly licensed establishments. We could break in, said Ned, or force our way in. No, said Lisa. 
If the hotel owner doesn't kill us, we might have to kill him. Even if I was ready to kill an innocent man, it would draw too much attention. She looked at Ned emphatically. We wait until morning. Chapter 20 They arrived at the address. It looked like a small warehouse to Ned. Lisa used a remote device that she retrieved from her pocket to open an automated garage door. Inside the garage area, Ned could see that the warehouse facade was built around the exterior of a house and encompassed what was once the entire yard. Inside, there was the old front of the home. So what is this place anyway? asked Ned. It is the home that belonged to a friend of my father. When he left for Mexico City, he asked me to take care of it for him. Did you think about getting out of the city when he left? Not really, replied Lisa. I wanted to make sure that my family's business was taken care of. Your family's business? Yes, we had a restaurant just north of downtown. I ran it for three months last year until the crime became overwhelming. We reopened it as kind of a cantina for the army officers. I was still more or less running the place, but it's not like it used to be. My father didn't serve alcohol because he didn't like dealing with drunken customers. Now that's all there is in there. They went through the front door of the house. Lisa turned on a light and Ned could see that it looked like a regular home. It looks like he thought he was coming back, said Ned. He still may, but things look a lot more uncertain now than they did when he left. Either way, he'll be okay. How can you be so certain, asked Ned. He has money, Lisa replied. Your family had money too? My family ran a successful business. Senor Menendez was sitting on a fortune. I think the only reason he stayed as long as he did was because he grew up here. Crime waves have come and gone in Juarez, but this time was different. You can see the way he built the house up into a fortress. You have to take extreme measures if you want to try and live a normal life in this city today. And in the end, he still left. I would have gone too if I had that kind of money. But moving out of Juarez would have meant starting over for me. I probably should have, but I wanted to make the restaurant work, and so did my brother. I thought we had each other to lean on, and I suppose we did for a while. What happened to your brother? asked Ned. He's still with the Liberation Army. Will they punish him because you left? I don't think so. He abandoned me months ago anyway. I tried to tell him that I wanted to get out, but he wouldn't help me. Said it would look bad for him if I left. If they punish him now, he deserves what he gets. What time can we make that phone call tomorrow? Not before seven, Lisa replied. How about six? asked Ned. Fine, we'll try at six. It should be light out by then anyway. She then pointed down a short hallway to a door. I'm sleeping in that room. There are two more bedrooms on the other side of the house. She motioned in the other direction with her other hand. Good night, she said as she walked into the room and closed the door behind her. Ned said good night through the closed door and proceeded to find his own bed for the night. There was an alarm clock in the room, which said that it was after two in the morning. He set the alarm for 5.30, and after lying in bed for nearly an hour, he finally fell asleep. It was at five o'clock that he awoke from the sound of the explosion. Chapter 21 The explosion didn't just sound loud. It shook the ground. Ned was up and pounding on Lisa's door before she was out of bed. What is it? Lisa shouted from inside the room. You didn't hear that? I heard it. What was it? I don't know, but we have to go. Lisa came out of the room a minute later, dressed and with her hair in a ponytail. Ned figured that she had also slept in her clothes, just in case. Are you ready? asked Ned. No, I need a few minutes. Hurry, said Ned. I'm going to take a peek outside. Ned went outside of the house and opened the garage door in the exterior wall. The street still looked empty. 
Someone saw the door open and asked loudly in Spanish what was going on. Ned replied that he didn't know and closed the garage door again. By the time he got back inside, Lisa was eating stale crackers that she found in the cupboard. Bring those, said Ned. We can eat them on the way. We need to get going. Going where? Don't you still want to find a phone? If we can, but I need to find out what that explosion was. It might have been a car explosion. They're not that uncommon here. He must have been sleeping pretty hard. It sounded like it was far away, but with the way the ground shook, it must have been huge. So what do you want to do? We'll check next door for the phone, then we'll head to the border to see if we can find out anything. They left the house and walked to the hotel. The street still seemed mostly empty, but there were now a few people walking around. Ned hit the buzzer and banged on the door at the hotel. A voice on the other end of an intercom told them to go away or get shot. As they walked the border, they continued to see larger groups of people gathered together. Ned stopped and asked almost every group they passed if they knew about the explosion. Nobody knew, but many had theories from cars exploding to a second missile attack on El Paso. There was also talk about gunfire closer to the border. Ned was leading Lisa to the deportation port where he and Jack had initially entered into Juarez. He thought that maybe he could convince the border guard to let them cross. As they approached the buildings, he could see that the border station was occupied by men wearing the uniforms of the Chihuahuan Liberation Army. Chapter 22 Ned and Lisa had backed up to a point where they were out of sight of the border patrol station and joined a group of people who had huddled together. Again, none of them seemed to know what was going on. It wasn't long before several pickup trucks pulled out of the border patrol station. It looked like they were carrying giant theater speakers in the back. People of Juarez, a pre-recorded voice boomed from the truck in Spanish. The Chihuahuan Liberation Army has taken control of the border into El Paso. El Paso is completely abandoned, and there are homes sitting empty for everyone. All residents with no place to stay should cross the border into El Paso and claim an abandoned home. The message began to repeat. Ned could hear an echo begin as more than one truck was playing the message as they drove off in different directions. Ned wondered how long it would take these trucks to cover the city, but quickly decided that there must be other trucks starting from other locations. What do you think? asked Lisa. Should we go into El Paso? It's not a bad idea, but I don't want to be the first ones through, and it's possible they'll be looking for us. Do you think any of the soldiers there will recognize you? It's possible, especially if they're looking for us. Maybe you're right, and we should wait. They walked a little further from the border patrol station and waited. It was only about 15 minutes before there was a large crowd of people walking toward the border. Okay, said Ned. I think now's the time to go. As they walked closer to the border, Ned could see that the drawbridge doors were open and that the Chihuahuan soldiers did indeed control both sides of the border. As a matter of fact, Ned thought they looked as well organized as the American soldiers had when he first arrived in Juarez. There were still bodies strewn about, but the Chihuahuan soldiers were already clearing the area. Ned could tell by the uniforms that there were both American and Chihuahuan soldiers among the dead. Ned and Lisa kept their heads down and continued to approach the border crossing without speaking. The Chihuahuan soldiers were telling the people crossing the bridge that the fighting was over and that they would be safe in El Paso as long as they avoided the American encampments. They were directing the people east and west. Ned could see that to the north there were more bodies and that the American soldiers had retreated and established a new stronghold at the edge of the green zone not even a half a mile away. The Americans are still pretty close, said Lisa. Are we safe here? 
probably safe from standard rifle fire, but certainly not from a decent sniper. And if they decided to bring in tanks or air support, there's no way the Chihuahuans could hold the border. Still, like you suggested earlier, it's likely they won't want the bad publicity that would come from slaughtering Mexican civilians. Come on, continued Ned. We're heading east. We need to get into the green zone, and I know a place where we can cross. So Lisa, asked Ned, were those Mexican flags that the Chihuahuans were flying at the border crossing? They were the same ones they were using at the trial, but they didn't look quite right. It's the Chihuahuan Liberation Army flag. It has the green, white, and red stripes of the Mexican flag, but uses the seal of Chihuahua in the middle, instead of the Mexican coat of arms. I see, said Ned. Isn't there usually an eagle with a snake? Yes, it's an old Aztec symbol of a golden eagle devouring a snake. I don't know what it originally meant, but today people look at it as Mexico, represented by the eagle, destroying the evil snake. That's interesting, said Ned. I've always thought of the United States as an eagle, but not Mexico. Ned paused for a moment. A bald eagle and a golden eagle. And now they're fighting, said Lisa, like dueling eagles. Dueling Eagles, written by Chad Claybo, read by Derek Durlam, produced by Studio Conundrum, copyright 2017, Chad Claybo.